0: Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound, and offer hope. You'll hear first hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near death experiences, premonitions, hauntings, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Welcome, friends. It's wonderful to have you with me on the Spirit Sisters podcast today. I have such a lovely guest that I just can't wait to introduce you to today. Lydia is an experienced palliative care nurse from Adelaide who's witnessed time and again how love lights the way at the edge of life. I first interviewed Lydia for my book, Love Never Dies, in which I included a chapter called A Parting Gift, For the longest time, I've been fascinated by the beautiful and mystical experiences that are reported to occur at the bedside of someone on the threshold of death. And in our interview for my book, Lydia shared with me moments that she'll never forget that are part and parcel of her sacred work. Catching up with Lydia today, and it's her partner Luke who joins us early on to listen in, in case you're wondering... Uh, Lydia shared more of those life-affirming stories with me and spoke about the lessons that her dying patients have taught her, valuable lessons Lydia has taken into her heart and that have transformed her life. Among them, the gifts of ageing, the importance of self-love, living in the present moment and embracing authenticity. I encourage you to listen in right to the end when Lydia reveals the magical story of the bookmark she discovered beneath a patient's bed that contained an Aboriginal proverb that sums up Lydia's work and her life. Here now is my conversation with Lydia about the moments that precede what one of her patients called Life's Last Great Adventure. (laughs)
1: Hi, Hi, Lydia. It's so lovely
0: to be talking to you.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Congratulations on 10 years on the book.
0: Thank you very much. So 10 years of Spirit Sisters, my goodness. I I find it hard to believe, but in a way I don't because, you know, time seems to fly by as the cliche goes.
1: Yeah. Now that was a book that chose me. That jumped off the shelf when I saw it in the shop. I was actually looking for a book for my niece at the time. I found a book for my niece, but I saw that one, and I and I'm sure the fact that you'd put a cover with the little spirit girl. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much about sisters because I've got sisters in my friendships, and and you know I, I have three sisters as well. So so, I, it just grabbed me. That's it just so, spoke so, to me.
0: So interesting that you say that, Lydia, because it was um, a. a very popular book surprisingly so and I, I think you know many other readers were with you on that with the appeal of the the image of the girl and the ball of light and also the word sisters you know I think it um, means a lot to people to women especially yeah absolutely. You know, and, and that was a big part of its appeal that word in the title. Wow. But, of course, wow. your story was in Love Never Dies, my last That's book. right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was the last in, in the Spirit Sisters trilogy. It was, came out in 2014. And whenever I think of Love Never Dies, I remember that chapter on deathbed experiences and, and what yeah. an absolute delight it was to talk to you. Like I have never forgotten that. And you're a wealth of beautiful, uplifting stories. And yeah. I think that those stories are the ones that you know that can just lift us. They can truly lift us. And I was absolutely. hoping that today, uh, with our listeners, you could share some of your favourites. And you know, it's been some years since we've last spoken, so no doubt you've had further experiences, Lydia.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. the The thing that always struck me was um, family members are always so worried that people die alone. And I guess I can't project how I spiritually feel about that, but I don't think people die alone. And I've said that to some people, and I've said also not to project my views on you, but this is how I feel. And they've nodded in agreement of that, that they feel that there's uh, maybe other relatives in the room, other friends. And there's been some interesting experiences with regards to. Sorry, Luke's just walked into the room. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, (laughs) Hello, Luke. (laughs) <laughs> sure, I, mean, I, I couldn't help but want to hear. Oh, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. So so I've had, had a few experiences since as well. Obviously, the, there's the stories in the book of um, what jumps out for me is when I nursed a man who was in his 50s. Now, I didn't nurse him in, in death. He actually went home to die, and I mm-hmm. think he had some kind of an emergency that he ended up in a, an A&E department, sadly, and he died there. He... his Father or father-in-law was in the ward probably six months to a year after he had died, and his father-in-law was very scared of death. Um, interestingly enough, the man in his fifties wasn't so fearful of death, but the man in his eighties was. So it's really not defined by age. And he he said to me, um, "I've seen I've seen my son in the room." and he said, oh, actually, he was just in here before you walked in the room and he talk- he made me laugh but also I was kind of tearing up because I said, yeah, I-, I knew him, I nursed him. He was a larger-than-life character, died what I think is far too young because he was a very strapping, fit man. Yeah. Yeah. And well-loved within his community as well from what I'd heard afterwards. But this 80-year-old man said, yes, he was just doing um, burnouts on the on the frame in the corner of the room, which <laughs> yeah. made me laugh because it really fit with the character of the guy. Yeah. But since, since then, he, what stands out to me, a couple of years ago I nursed a man. I had a great connection with him and his daughters came out of the room probably about three weeks before he died. He was saying that... He was having interesting conversations with a, with a friend. He was telling his daughters, and I was speaking with one of the daughters in the corridor, and he said um, that he, w- he was telling him all sorts of stuff. I've just had a conversation with this man, and let's call him Bob. Mm. And she was saying now, and I said, I said uh, who is Bob? And she said, well, Bob was a friend of his that he grew up with in, um, in his street, and he was eight months younger than their dad. And they said that Bob had died at about 38 of fairly young. And they didn't really go into too many details about his death. But they said he every time we come in, he's ta- he said he's been talking to Bob in the room. So about about three weeks later, he died. And and I was actually telling the girls about your book. And I was yeah, talking about cool. what I believed of um, that people not dying alone and that I feel that Often they're prepared by friends or family, loved ones uh, prior, to, prior to death. They're sort of seeing them over, I guess. So a, as a hospice nurse, I, I don't really go to too many funerals I, as a part of the boundaries that I, that I put on myself. But when you do go to funerals, I've probably been to about six in my 12 years there when you go to funerals, you realise how much it means to family members because they're actually really touched by your presence if you can actually make it. Uh, I, I don't make any room for the funerals. I sort of let divine intervention take over with regards to that. If I've got a day off and that was something I wanted to particularly do and I was invited by the family, um, that's what I've done. So I haven't been often but I happened to go to this fella's wake, beautiful wake. He He was a Buddhist man. And he was quite a meticulous man as well. And he was filling in a book about his life. Oh. The serendipity of that story is I, I had a look on the first page and, he, you know, he was even talking about when his daughters were born and, you know, the, the distance between the contractions in the labour. So beautiful stuff like that. So he, was, he had filled in this book cover to cover about his oh. life. And then I, I just per chance flicked onto a page and there was the story of Bob. My friend Bob, who died at 38 years, um, and he explained that he grew up in the street and we were very close in life. He went out to the Vietnam War and he died from cancer um, related to Agent Orange. Mm. Uh, The story was there. You know, in this thick book, why did Bob... Bob make himself known to me. I got to know his. So, so quite serendipitous, really, and it was a very special moment. I didn't go searching for this man in the book, yes. but he just jumped yeah. out to me. How
0: extraordinary <laughs> that um, your patient kept this, this incredible record of his life, like the book of life.
1: Yeah. So, so obviously Bob was a really important part of his life. Yes. And, you know, such an untimely death at 38 years, you know, and serving the country and then being affected by Agent Orange. And then Bob, and,
0: your understanding is that he came to collect your patient when it was his time. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I did mention this as I left the wake. I, I spoke to the daughters and I said I, I just relived that conversation in the corridors, how they told me he was talking to Bob and I, and I told them that I, I just found, you know, he, he jumped out at me in, in your dad's book. And
0: what did they say? Were they comforted?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. They Kind of the words of just meant to be, I guess. How beautiful. Yeah. I know. I felt really touched by it. And and because of it, he was a Buddhist, so he, he had this little, um, that, they made this little shrine to him and he had a little truss rock. So as a result, I went out and bought a truss rock just to remind me to very much live in the moment, To trust the universe that you're, you're receiving the messages that you need really. You're, you're crossing paths with the right people
0: yes, and they're meant yes. to be in your life. And yeah. what I love about your story, I mean all your stories but that one in particular is that you, you are tending to people who are in their last moments on earth in their physical lives but yet enhanced, their experiences are enhancing your own experience of life. So you yeah. you attending them in their physical death, but they're enhancing your life. They're teaching you to trust and and to, um, yeah. to open your heart even wider.
1: Absolutely. Look, I even remember my patient's name. It stays with me. Yeah. It stays with yeah. me. Yeah, and he, even some of the quotes that he had when he was in the hospital room. He had two grandsons that were about four and two, and he he he. Not that I didn't realise this, but he put it into words. He said, children change the energy in a room. Yeah. He said, yeah. to them, I'm I'm not dying. I'm not any different. I'm just grandpa. I'm, I, I am who I am and I've always been to them. And very special, but that kids change the energy in the room. And I think that's so true. Indeed. When you see the kids yeah. sitting in the hospice, it, and it's the same with animals. Mm. They bring yeah. them through. It's it's it brings some normality
0: where Where other people might be
1: sombre. People often try and kick kids away from the area of death and dying and often people will ask me, do I, even the other day, someone said, do I bring my 13-year-old in? And I say, you know, in the interest of being honest, it's it's a very, you know, it's a very hard part of life but part of life. Mm. So if they get to experience that, it's a privilege, heartbreaking all the same. Mm.
0: And what I um, Uh, always uh, remember uh, so clearly from our earlier conversations, Lydia, um, you had stories of celebration at the end, you know, that celebration on the other side. So there was one beautiful story in particular you told about a gentleman who was passing and all of his family were in there in the physical in the room. But at the same time, he was experiencing what could only be described as a party
1: yeah.
0: on the other side. Tell tell our listeners yeah, about that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So that so that was a Greek man and we'd already deemed him in a terminal phase, which is supposed to be sort of the last 48 hours of life. Okay. And he came to and his daughter called me into the room and she, she trusted me enough to say, I, you know, some might call it visual or auditory hallucinations, but she said, my father... Uh, keeps on talking to the other side of the room and telling me who's there. And she said, these are all my dead relatives. She said, and I can feel them in the room. She, she was very in tune. She had a sense that they were in the room as well. But she said, I can hear the conversations that he's having with them. And he would focus over to the corner of the room. And yet then he'd refocus and talk to the people who were physically at his bedside in the physical physical world was quite incredible and he and the thing is about him his mood he was very elated he was lucid he wasn't drug affected he was um he was just really embracing it to him it was as if they were all in the room together and they could (laughs) see one another it was beautiful really beautiful
0: Um, what what you were just saying what that reminds me of is um, there's a book that was written in the 1800s called Deathbed Visions and the author was William Barrett and his wife was an obstetrician and he wrote this whole book because of a story that she told of a lady who'd just given birth and who was passing away from blood loss or I'm not I can't remember exactly what but she was. She retained the both consciousnesses of. So she retained the consciousness of her room with the doctors yeah. and nurses in there, and at the same time, she was somewhere else. And Barrett, yeah, yeah. in his description of the of of the what happened, he says he uses a term like that that she retained the um, the consciousness of both dimensions or something along those lines That's to so paraphrase. And it sounds like your gentleman was doing the same. So they're already somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I I felt very privileged that I was witnessing. He's obviously, there's no um, barriers between this world and the next, and that's what he was seeing in the room. And I felt very privileged to be experiencing that, seeing him witness that, whilst I couldn't see any of his family members other than those that were in the physical world. It was a beautiful thing. And just the elation. There was a lot of love in the room. And even how comforting that was to his daughter who was telling me, you know, because when when you work in a medical system, it's very much in the medical model. So things will be deemed auditory and visual hallucinations but when they have done studies, but not enough on deathbed visions. Mm. Now, in, interestingly enough, my my seventeen year old last year had a had a big study thing to do, and I, he's obviously been so affected by the stories that I pass on to him that he actually did a big study on deathbed visions. Is that right? So he interviewed my boss and, and another member of my workplace, um, which which. Delighted me because you know, obviously, I've had uh, some kind of impact on him. I've rubbed off on my son, I <laughs> which think that's is one- fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to send you his study.
0: I would love you to send me his study, and I've got a 17 year old boy as well. And, um, yeah. and I just knowing, you know, knowing what 17 year old boys are usually like, I, you know, give kudos to your boy for doing a study of that nature, I think that's wonderful, Absolutely. you know, it's important yeah. that they have this understanding and I think in my way I've passed on something as well but to my children in terms of, you know, how important it is to honour this other side of ourselves, the spiritual side, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much of that is sinking in but, you know, it's important, I, I don't <laughs> censor myself, I share it and I, I think it's lovely that yeah. your son, you know, did that as, as a school project, was that or?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's the same in Sydney but in South Australia or I think it's year 10, 11 have, a, have this particular specialised study that they have to do and and I think it's something like 15,000 words so oh. it's quite, and it, and it is called the Research Project and they do it across public and private schools and they all have to do it and support it with research um, and it has to be a very specific area. Initially, he went down palliative care and then he said, what areas of study could I do? And then he said, I want to do the deathbed visions.
0: Oh, I'd and, love to read uh, his work. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. I'll,
0: Good on and,
1: him. And he sent me the interviews of uh, of my boss and what kind of questions he asked and how it affected people as well. So, I, yeah, I've, I've clearly rubbed off. <laughs> you <laughs> so have. <laughs> um,
0: so, Lydia, what I thought I'd do too is ask you a little bit about um, – some of the some of the phenomena that is reported at these um at the deathbeds of people and um one of the things you've brought up a few already the elation i've yeah. read about this beautiful sense of of joy, I've read about smiles that are so luminous that you've never seen this smile just in everyday life before. It's a very particular kind of, you know, a beaming smile. And Barrett yeah. wrote about it in, yeah. in the 1800s in Deathbed Visions yeah. as well. I'm wondering if you've seen that, for instance, almost a luminosity in the face.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I told you um, about the man who saw his wife within hours before he died, he um he was telling me the story that he lost his wife three years before and that she was the love of his life. Mm-hmm. He was an Italian man. And then uh, later on that day, I mean, he was still up and getting onto a, a shower chair in the morning, and later on that day he, he was starting to get very vague, uh, fading out a little, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I, I put him back to bed with support, and he looked past and through me focusing on something in the room. And he had almost like a, an elation on his face. His eyes lit up and he was smiling, beaming, if you like. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and it, it really took my breath away as I put him back to bed. He didn't say too much to me, but I thought from the deterioration that happened in the fo- following sort of hour and a half, oh, I rang his fair. family um, because after putting him back to bed and he, he'd gone to sleep, he was no longer conscious or rousable. So when I went to rouse him, he he was unresponsive, and also his uh, you know peripheries, his fingers tips and his toes were all shutting down. So that meant he was very much in the throes of um, dying. So I rang his family, not to panic, but they got there, the the, the daughters and the son, um, and and he died uh, then and there. And that gave me really uh, the confidence that she had arrived she had arrived I mean he was definitely focusing on something in the corner and he wasn't smiling at me like that it was certainly past and and it was just beautiful it, it just moved me and he'd been talking about his wife to you just prior was it or, yeah, yeah. yeah earlier earlier in the morning I was wow. also I love to get the stories of people people tell you so much about their lives yeah. and that's the beauty if you have a chance I mean nurses as nurses we can be terribly busy with tasks and but you know we only get to see them for this much of their life and there's so much more and they're not a diagnosis they've they've got so much of their life hence why I love when they bring photos in and you can you can kind of look into their life a little and when I've attended funerals or or wakes the small amount that I have I get a real picture of the person prior to them getting ill and coming in. We only get such a snippet of their life. Yeah. Yeah. And their life in a very um you know, it's a very clinical, sterile area, which people try to pretty up with photos, but you only get just a snippet of them. Of course. Because you know, when if they're suffering and with pain and, and symptoms, they you know, you're not really getting the best of people. And then saying that, you know, it's amazing what you do get and how tolerant and how much they tolerate stuff with um, such dignity and grace, if you like. Grace, yes. Um,
0: so we've spoken about um, the smiles and as you described the Italian gentleman, how he was looking through you that, with that elation, that reminds me of a story that is quite famous now, a contemporary story of Steve Jobs's deathbed and i don't know if you know about it i think i did write about it um so he his last words as reported by his sister were oh wow oh wow oh wow
1: (laughs) yeah i think i have seen (laughs) that yeah and i just
0: gives me chills every time
1: how how beautiful yeah Yeah. if only he he could uh imprint that on someone's uh eyes what he was seeing yeah, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall between, you know, this world and the next to see what they're actually experiencing well, as know, they go.
0: It's inter- as yeah. they go, it's interesting that you say that because I was going to ask you about a phenomenon. It's a good segue into this question. There's a phenomenon known as the shared death experience. And I don't know if you've heard about that, but I've done some reading into it and it's when a person is is crossing over and their loved one goes part of the way with them. They have an experience of seeing a little of where their their loved one is going, and then they come back with that knowledge and report it. And um, it's happened with well, I guess usually it's it's the husband or the wife or the the loved one. But I don't know. I wondered if anybody has talked to you about that, or if you've ever heard of of a first hand account of a shared death
1: experience. Look, I've only I've only heard of people that are very afraid and then they've um, had some deathbed visions and they've been told that it's okay and and they've almost been um, they're okay. They, they've come to some resolve about their own death yes. that it's actually okay. So they haven't described it quite like that mm. but they mm. have seen seen loved ones who've told them how it is and they've kind of shared that with us that ah. it's okay. I, I'm not afraid anymore. So it's a, a different anymore. kind
0: of shared <laughs> death experience. That's lovely. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: I, know, I, know, I know of a lady earlier last year who was reporting to see her parents in the room and she was saying they've come for me. She was telling um, her family. And her family were quite distressed about that. Mm, saying, yeah. but, but I sort of enlightened them of what I thought was going on yeah
0: I think that's important work to do as well like to to um educate the staff about these experiences and not to perhaps shut them down when the patient reports them, because as you say like it can help the the grieving parties as well to understand that you know it's actually quite normal because this this is reported at many deathbeds, you know that the person that's crossing will say. Mum has been here, or Dad has been here, or another yeah, loved one yeah. has been there. Yeah, and you've yeah. certainly heard that a lot, Lydia.
1: Absolutely. Look, there were there was a man a couple of months ago. Um, he was dying of uh, renal failure, and he was quite lucid before he before he died. He was quite aware of on the morning that he died, but he was he was very serene at the same time. Mm. And his wife had stayed with him overnight, and after he died, she said, do you know the past two nights that I've been with him, he's told me that he's seen his parents in the room and he's seen my brother. She said, and they're, they're all dead. She yeah. said, and he seemed very um, reassured about that. Reassured. He, reassured. Yeah, he seemed reassured. And he. I, I think he even reported, I'm going to see them soon.
0: Wow and you could imagine how that reassurance that he's feeling would extend out to to Absolutely. his wife you know and, and she,
1: she was she was elated by that oh. yeah she was really and the fact that she was sharing that after death he was he had just died and his death came although he'd been in the hospice for a good couple of weeks it came fairly suddenly the fact that he wasn't he wasn't in any way moribund before he went. He mm-hmm. was quite um, responsive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she was she was sharing that with me in when I went in to sort of lay him out. Okay. And often yeah. people will tell share these little experiences that he wasn't hallucinating. He was actually he was sharing that with her that they were in the room and he felt reassured about that.
0: That's wonderful. That's that okay. And that reminds yeah. me to ask you <laughs> about another. Um, Another phenomenon that I've read about, and there is a name for it, which now escapes me, but it's when a patient has been unresponsive for a very long time, and then suddenly, in within the last couple of days before they pass away, they become lucid, and either have mental, you know, the return of their mental faculties, or they and or a sort a strength in the physical body that they didn't have, you know, for perhaps up to months. Have you ever witnessed anything like that in a patient where there's just like a sudden surge of life?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As a hospice nurse, obviously, we have to guide the family through what, what stage and how long, you know, that that's a very common question. How long have they got yeah. and even yeah. when they're in the in the throes of those last days, well, how long can they hang on for they haven't had food or fluid? Um, how long can this go on for yeah. and then yeah. the other week, I remember um, someone was having a fairly significant birthday, and her mother was dying. Um, she was only a teenager, oh. and oh. Uh, she and the family was saying we we don't really want her to die on on the daughter's birthday imagine wow. how traumatic for a, a teenager if oh. the, yeah. their mother dies at that time and it's almost like she heard that and she rallied oh. she rallied oh. and so i was on days off and I I came back and um, I'd heard that she'd got out in a cloud chair which is like a recliner chair but it's on wheels it makes it a little bit more portable that she actually got out and drank some champagne (laughs) now two weeks prior to that I went on days off thinking I'm not going to see her again she she will died, and this is some two weeks later and it's a significant birthday and she was sharing champagne wow However, wow. then in the following days she faded again, and she she has died now. Right. But I just, I, it's, that's how incredible things are, and and maybe that awareness. That was, it was such. Really it's really like she gave a gift,
0: a, a, the most, the ultimate birthday gift to her daughter.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and wow. and just a word. This teenager would just uh, absolutely took my breath away, and how mature and. Um, composed she was, um, seeing her mother suffering. I, I just, uh, when you see kids affected by and around death, uh, it, it, it's very humbling.
0: Mm-hmm. It's upsetting
1: too. You, you can feel the heartbreak, but you can feel the love and the amazing bond. You know, that nothing ceases to amaze me, I guess, in life and death. And that's the beauty of it. I can never absolutely predict. And that's why I don't sit there and say, oh, yes, it's absolutely, you know, hours or days. I could say that to a family and then someone might rally and they're there for, you know, another two, three weeks. And then they might quite, if I I was um, arrogant enough to say that I know it absolutely, you know, that could come back to me.
0: Of course. yeah.
1: Even if I was to say absolutely that someone's not going to go and then they walk out the room and they go at that time. I have to prepare them for everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's,
0: um, it's sacred work, isn't it, Lydia?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very privileged work too. Oh.
0: And what, something you mentioned earlier about the teenager who discovered sort of this resolve within her or this, you know, she it's almost like the suffering of her mother, as sad as this is to say, there's almost a gift in it. And it just it it opens up for me the greater question of um of the hardships in life and what they might illuminate for us
1: absolutely do you
0: reflect on that at being a being a hospice nurse? you know you you obviously see life and death together, and do you reflect on the purpose behind suffering? Um, do you frequently see that it brings with it a gift if we can find it?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I I mean it, it's certainly a reminder that, you know, nothing is a given. You're not guaranteed uh you know, when I hear people complaining about age from a numerical point of view, uh I just think but I've known people who never made it to twenty two and, and, and far younger than that too, nineteen. So it's it's not a given, so that's why it should be celebrated. You know, we. You would know even working for the magazine with such an anti-age yes. Um, yes. society, and yet, you know, there, there's there's wisdom in the years, isn't there? Hopefully, yeah. if we yeah. if we are privileged enough to see it. You know, and we work hard for these lines. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're you're, so, you're right
0: about that, Lydia. Um, you know, in the last days of working for the entertainment magazine where I worked, I I, I was, or oh, in the last months, I was troubled by this idea that our culture is so obsessed with the physical. You know, and um yeah, absolutely. And, And I thought, well, it's not right because we are, we're mind, we're body and we're spirit. And my sense is that when those things are out of balance or all of the focus is on one rather than the other, something's not going to go well. You know, we need to honour all three. And in our culture, there's this real sense that the the spiritual is not really honoured, that it's the, the left brain, the mind and the body which is so paramount you know and i understand why that is but do you believe that more has to be done and perhaps i don't know how perhaps you've got some suggestions lydia um, more has to be done to honor the the spiritual in our day-to-day lives
1: yeah i think i think where people confuse spiritual is they think you're religious yeah. and i think i think religion has in itself has done quite a bit of harm Because you can be spiritual aside from religion, whereas spiritual is about about something a bit deeper than yourself, things going on. You know, when I look at the serendipity that goes on in my life and the people who cross my path, that in itself, there's certainly a spiritual meaning for that. Yeah. To be purely physically focused on yourself and, you know, I've often spoken to Luke about it, about these people you know, it will pop up on your Facebook feed of these people who hideously alter who they are mm. as people mm. from a purely physical. I, I saw a, a white lady yesterday um, making herself black oh, yes. and yeah. enhancing her breasts so they could be the biggest in Europe. That, to me, that that's life gone haywire. Yep. Uh, and saying that she spent 65000 on it. I think of uh, someone like that really needs to go in and, and look after people that I look after. Now, they've not been blessed with health. Uh, they've, you know, they've drawn the cards of um, pain and suffering and uh, tumours and illness, and that too is a part of life that needs to be on it as well. Oh, and, yeah. you know, to be purely focused on not being... Happy with yourself? It's a bit of a waste, isn't it? Really, when I've got people that are really fighting for fighting for days, fighting for another week with their with their children, that really gives you a great deal of perspective about life, the spirituality of life.
0: Oh Absolutely. my! God. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So I wonder, you you could almost write a book on the wisdom that you hear from your patients. You know, what sorts of things? Yeah. What what are some of the things that they've said that have really stayed with you and you've perhaps, you know, used as a as a benchmark for how you live your own life?
1: Well, I, I think about a, a lady who years ago I did a makeup course with her and she ended up becoming a patient of mine and we connected and she she said and she was she was the happiest patient I've ever looked after. She honored every day. She was a really beautiful soul. She, for her breast cancer, she even dyed her hair pink to honour it. She, um, she had the most beautiful blue eyes and she said to me, you know, if I, if I can go back to when I was 15 and tell myself that this was going to happen, how much, how much focus I put on looking the way I did. She, was a, she had been an Adelaide model as well. She said how much focus I put on all the wrong things back then and to tell myself to be a lot stronger um, to love myself. She said, why has it taken me this long to love myself? Oh, and to know that, she said, if I'd have known that life was going to be short, um, what would I have done differently? So I hope in in things that she said, uh, just, you know, life is about moments. It's not about the things we collect. Someone Someone had said to me, you know, so what to any houses that I have or cars that I have? They are insignificant when I come into hospital. We're all the same. Uh, you know, you're stripped bare, basically. Mm. You're stripped down to the raw. And often you don't even have, you know, I, I think of myself, I look after myself makeup and whatever. Some of those ladies, they don't care anymore about any of that. that, that that's unimportant. Yeah. What's really important is trying to milk those moments of life and family members coming in, and I tell you what, you the people that are uh, very sick do so much entertaining. You know, I I know when I'm sick, I don't I don't want to see anybody. I just want to stay in bed. But because they know that time is short, they they say to me, they, they sort of walk between. I'm tired of so many visitors, but I also know that time is short, and I've got to honour them. And I, you know, and they say, what do I say to them? I can't. I don't want to turn them away. These people might have travelled from interstate to see me because it might be the last time. But I'm tired from it. So I say, you know, we we can restrict the amount of time, you know, and surely towards the end of life, it's okay to be a little bit selfish and to, you know, because fatigue sets in. People want to sleep more. Perhaps, you know, to be honest, to not just put on a brave face, but just. People take you for what you are or you let people know, look, I might not be able to see you on that particular day. I, I might be too tired. I might have pain, that sort of thing. So there's such wonderful lessons that I've just jotted down. So there's self-love, which is so
0: important. There's, um, you know, don't focus on the material things, on, on collecting toys <laughs> and, um, and honesty and authenticity, you know. These are the Absolutely. things your patients are teaching you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So many. I I could list off many. <laughs> what else, <laughs> if, Lydia? What else remember? comes to mind? Just those special moments. You know, even the the I work with the founder the charity foundation who they say if you need anything. You know, even birthdays. People on birthdays and those special moments, those anniversaries, yeah. and they are really important, really paramount when people come in because they don't know that they're even going to see another birthday, another anniversary. Uh, They do things like Christmas in July
0: because that might
1: be someone's last Christmas. And I think some families get it that they they honour that. You know, very occasionally have I seen families fighting over, you know, uh, material possessions of the person who's the the patient who's in the bed, and and I'm appalled by that. Um, But most of the time people honour that space uh, and they make a special effort. And sometimes barriers are knocked down because of it. You know, family members reunite. There was a man that reunited with his uh, estranged daughter, and found that he had a grandchild in his life as well. Uh, and that was that was probably in the two weeks before he died. And he had been a man who I think he'd he'd run away from life. He'd been a bit of a hermit since his marriage breakdown. And he hadn't seen his children. I think he'd even moved into state. So he'd become a hermit. He didn't want any contact with people. And he was also a hermit with us. He didn't want any nursing staff around him. Wow. He just wanted to roll over and forget about life. But yeah. um, but he asked, this was his dying wish, that he reunite with his daughter. And this daughter honoured that. Despite having reservations about doing it, because she'd never really known her father, and she brought her baby in, who was probably only about eight months old, and the change of energy in the room in that in that moment, oh my and I th- <laughs> she was, I think she was around when he died as well, so she was there when he took his final breaths, and people people realise, I guess, how petty some things are, you know, oh. Will forget the past, and and there's some that don't too. I've, yeah. I've had I've had ex-wives ring and say, you know, does he want to see me? You know, and, and the patient has said to me, no way, not allowing that person back in my my life. So, so I think you again, that's walking in that honesty and authenticity, isn't it? Where yeah. you, you don't have to be a people pleaser. You don't have to. You know, there, there's walls that are created for a reason too and they've been big lessons for people, and that's why they've kept them well out of their their life.
0: That's so but, interesting because on the one hand you see the power of letting go of, of resentments and bitterness and embracing forgiveness, you know, and then on the other hand you also see the other side, yeah. which is people not yeah. doing so, but it's every situation is different, I guess, you
1: know. Absolutely. Yeah. and it, And it's navigating. You can't put your values or your no. thoughts no. to anyone else or sit in judgment of that. You know, those people have had their own lessons and uh, and they've come to those conclusions and they've got to honour those, I think, being honest, being authentic about it.
0: And acceptance <laughs> is important, yes. like the yes. ac- yes. people around accepting their choices.
1: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah.
0: So that's all extremely profound... Lydia, extremely profound. There was one other phenomenon I wanted to ask if you'd ever witnessed or been told about, and that is um, the the image, like the actual visible image of a mist or a, a smoke or something leaving the, the body at the time of passing.
1: Yeah. Look, I haven't had that myself, the, but my, my f- best friend was telling me of an incident when... Um, was it an uncle that died perhaps? yeah, yeah the, she said that um, she said that when her uncle was dying, they um, there was four people around him as he was taking his last breaths and they all had their hands on his on his heart, on his solar plexus and when he left, two of the daughters actually saw was it I think it was like a, a light. Uh, go oh. through their hands it thro- it was like a jolt and yeah. saw an image of something leave the body and they both said did you see that two of them didn't two of them did
0: mm, so I have,
1: I have heard that and as far as seeing I there was a nurse on our ward who who's very much on the terra firma she said I don't know I don't know if I believe any of this stuff but she she saw a little little lady go into a room in the middle of the night, although she said it wasn't darkened corridors. She said, I could see it was fairly well lit. She saw a little lady walk into the corridor of one of the ladies we were looking after, and she thought, oh, who's that who's arrived in the middle of the night? Because we don't have uh, restrictions on our visiting hours, only a restriction on how to get into the hospital. And she thought, oh, who's that? She followed, followed the lady in, and there was no one in the room other than the patient. So she did see someone who – and that she wasn't a mist. She was a lady who (laughs) looked like a living being who was busying herself into into the room. And the patient was a lady who'd known some of the old nuns who worked at the hospital. So, you know, whether it was one of the old nuns – and we've had a few of the old nuns that have died in the hospice – so whether or not it was one of them, yeah. and they didn't yeah. they they weren't the habit wearing nuns anymore. They sort of ditched that for the past twenty years or so. Um, whether it was one of those, come to see her over, and this lady did die probably two or three days later.
0: Oh well, that story reminds me of um, an interview that I wrote about in Spirit Sisters in my first book, and it was. Um, an interview with a nurse who was a very, very powerful natural medium and she was very at odds with her with her gift. And, you know, uh, talking about her, I think I'm going to try and find her to bring her on the podcast to tell us yes. uh, her story. But one of the things that she did draw immense comfort from in terms of her guilt, uh, her gift was this ability of hers to be able to see the loved ones in spirit who are waiting for the the people who are passing away to cross over and there was one one story she told of um a lady who was passing away you know just days to go and um a a young guy was sitting for a the longest time in the armchair next to her bed and he was dressed in 1970s gear you know she described his flares and the tight body shirt and the platform shoes (laughs) and um And he gave her such comfort and that, you know, she, as I said, she was not happy with her gift. I called the story The Reluctant Medium.
1: Yeah. But it was
0: this aspect of seeing, being able to see that, and we come back to the beginning of of the podcast and what you were saying about people not passing on alone. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we do not pass alone because she'd seen it firsthand just like your colleague saw The Little Old Lady. Well, this interviewee of mine saw um, saw this this young man, who possibly a son, possibly an old you know boyfriend, who knows. But he was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah you hear it so often. Yeah, you really yeah. do. But Luke's just reminding me that um, when when I work night it is is probably the only time I can report to seeing stuff. But I wouldn't call it a mist. I would call it static.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's peripheral.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, and I, it, it's almost like I get a sense when people are going. I've said to uh, nurses who are younger than me, I've kind of freaked them out a little. I remember one night being at the desk and I, I said to her, she was a graduate at the time, this um, friend of mine, and I said, these, like I said about the terminal phase, phase four. I said yeah. these people over here in this corridor are phase four, but I said, but this man over here is going to go first. And she said, How do you know that? And I said, I can feel the static in the corridor. I can see it, but I can only see it. It's a different vibration, and it's um, it's flickers.
0: Right.
1: And I said, and I I said to her, and she said, Oh, you're making my here, stand up. I said, his relatives are here for him. I can, I can feel it. I can, I can get a sense of them in the corridor. So I don't see in images. I can feel in um, static. And sure enough, then sometimes when just before people go, there's this muttering that they do. And it's a very different muttering. And, and I call it like a chatting with the other side. Okay. And this man was doing that this particular night. And he was chattering away. And I said to this grad, I said he's going to go first. He he may not be in a in a phase four, but I think he's going to go first. So I came on the next night, and sure enough, he had gone. He'd gone by eleven o'clock that day. But night duty finished at seven, so I didn't. But I witnessed this chattering that he was doing before death. And there was another man I was looking after, um, and I went in to see him, and he had he had a, a physical a. a Person laying next to the bed, his his ex wife. They they were very they were quite close, and mm. she was she was sort of staying with him the night before he died, and she was next to the bed. I thought he was maybe chattering to her, and she was asleep. He was chattering, chattering away, and I'm thinking, oh, he seems a bit unsettled. So I went in to see how he was, mm. and then he turned over to speak to me in a very different way, but he had this euphoria on his face as mm. well. And then he turned back to something uh, he was looking up and he was started this muttering but it, it's, muttering sounds a horrible way to describe it, but it is like a muttering it's a it's a real little chattering under the breath um, and talking away to someone but yeah. talking very yeah. differently to me, but being very aware very lucid and interestingly enough, that man died on uh, the anniversary of of his father's death, mm-hmm. so I thought that's who was in the room. It's his father.
0: And is with that chattering to the other side? Um, I know it's very under the breath. Are you ever able to make out anything of what they're saying?
1: Well, not sometimes, but uh, I, I feel that it's a private chatter. No. But often there's laughter with it, little giggles. You know, obviously there's some humour. Isn't that wonderful? And nodding heads and. You know that there's that beautiful amazement in the eyes where then you walk in, you feel like you're almost interrupting a conversation. But then when they converse to you, it's very different. "Oh no, I'm okay. that they're kind of a bit louder to you, but then they go back to this to this muttering. It's,
0: again, coming back to what we were saying earlier about retaining the dual consciousness there, you know, they are in the two places at once, yeah. Yeah, events, yeah. yeah.
1: It, it very much gives you a sense of how, how fine a line between this world and the next really. Um, my, I remember a man dying um, that I looked after and he'd written quite a few books on um, I think German warfare, believe it or not, hmm. and he um I'd admitted him, and after I was there when he died as well. And at that time, I the next morning I felt someone touch me in the kitchen on the back. Um, and in the times where I've had what is query um, spirit activity, I've been touched on the back. When I did a ghost tour recently in Adelaide Jail, I got touched on the back twice, and almost yeah. took on an angry. I, I felt an angry uh, persona because. I was trying to rationalise it with that someone's obviously been up close to me and someone's having me on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yeah. But
1: this man after he died had um, touched me on the back and and I was certain it was him. Yeah. There was no one in the corridor. He died the night before and his body was still in the room waiting for the, the funeral directors to pick him up. And I'd had a great connection to him. Yeah. But his yeah. wife said something beautiful, and when he left the room, when she left the, the hospital, um, that uh, she said she said, "Well, he he did say that life, uh, death was life's next great adventure," and you and though that quote has really stayed with me, and I thought that was a beautiful thing that his wife reflected on. Well, that's again a gift
0: that he's left her, and then she has spread out you know to you and now to all our listeners yeah he
1: he was actually a um what do they call it a an aviation um investigator so he would go to air crash investigation so oh. so he he was quite an in, a well traveled and intrepid man anyway. And he'd written a few books. So I thought that was so poetic that he put it like that. I thought that you might like that. I
0: love that. <laughs> Death okay. was life Death. Death is Life's Last Great Adventure. Was that it?
1: Yeah. That could be the yeah.
0: title of this
1: Next Door podcast. Yeah. 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 Um it's such a beautiful thing.
0: It's very beautiful. Well, I mean, this has been such a delight talking with you, Lydia. I think it's so <laughs> life affirming, you know, the work that you do dealing with those that are crossing over is paradoxically so life-affirming and I love that you're you know spreading these wonderful messages you know and there are so many just today we've spoken about self-love and honesty and authenticity and living in the present moment embracing the mm-hmm. present moment is so important if you had to sum up what how you know this this work that you do has changed your life what would you say?
1: I, I think it's changed me spiritually. I think I, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that this is not the only world um, that we're here. I people say that my my work is sad, and I and I said not not at all. It's heavy emotionally, and I see sadness, but I also see incredibly raw love, authenticity. People are very real, and I always leave people with if you've ever heard the Aboriginal proverb. You should look it up. It's beautiful. And have I got it on me, the Aboriginal proverb? It's up there, isn't it? Have I got it there? I'd love to read it oh, to please, you. Oh, please, it, please. It makes my job easier. Or I'll, or I'll look it up. Shall I look it up here? Yes. Here it is. And there's some serendipity with this, Karina. Yeah. It was a book, book that when I sent a man... I sent a man uh, to a nursing home. Not personally, I didn't send him. Uh, He left left the ward and he was very sad and he went to the nursing home and probably died in the two weeks after. But under his bed at the time was this bookmark and really it sums up how I'm able to do the work that I do. When people say, oh, it's such a sad thing, I think what is life-affirming about it, and and I'll read it to you. Please. It's the Aboriginal proverb, and it puts everything into perspective for me that this, and, and, you know, people being physically focused, this is just a shell, Mm -hmm. and our soul is far deeper than that. Uh, It says, we are all visitors to this time, this place. We are just passing through. Our purpose here is to observe, to learn, to grow, to love, and then we return home. So that sums up for me and I think working in the hospice, that is that in a nutshell, that, I, that I'm looking after people towards the end of their passing in this life and they're transitioning to the next mm-hmm. and it's a really important time and it's important that I'm life-focused uh, while, while they do have life and every day is important up to the day that you pass and beyond as well.
0: Oh Lydia, that's just lovely. And yeah. it, the the mention of home is very beautiful and it reminds me of, of um a saying by the spiritual teacher Ram Das who said, We're all just walking each other home and your work yeah, yeah. you're walking them home and it's Absolutely. it's very, very beautiful work.
1: Yeah. And yeah. On behalf
0: of everyone I'd like to thank you for it because it's um I'm sure that it's not the easiest work, you know, but as you say, like you see the
1: sorrow but you see the joy. Absolutely, absolutely. I Look, a lot of people say that, you know, you, the girls, well, and there's some guys that work there now, uh, they, they call us angels but I really think the true angels are the family, the, the family and the person in the bed, you know, that they're a patient by no choice of their own and uh, the families just walk with them through that as much as I love the work that I do, I can leave the place. I take with me in my heart a lot of the stories and a lot of the people, but for the families it's it's heartbreaking. They're losing, you know, a very important person in their life. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because that's so the thing is, as well, uh, the physical matters too, you know, like yeah, and to yeah. honour that physical, even though it's a shell it's you know, honouring that as well because it's yeah, a shell that yeah. means a lot to the um to the loved ones that are left behind.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they've crossed my path, you know, I, I feel honored that they've crossed my path as well. You know, they as you say, they do teach me about myself and they teach me about life and how precious it is. And precious the people that are in your life.
0: How would you sum up the role of love in, in, in life?
1: Love, you've got, to, you've got to love large, I think. You've got to not hold back. Um, you, you've got to tell people, not only tell people but show them, you know, everything's shown in actions. Um, and love is not, not just words and, and not just um, token things. You can feel love. Love is about the energy that people emit to each other for sure. Well, I, I always say to family members, I, I can feel the love in the room. And Ooh. when people die, I say, you know, they, they've they've really died with uh, a wall of love. You know, I've wow. kind of honoured the families that they don't feel that you've done nothing here. You've created a wall of love, that they've actually gone over to their next part of their journey with this wall of love to know how loved they are. And I'm sure they've passed over with love too. Someone on the other side has... Taken their hand and yeah,
0: taken take, them as and you've told that, us that you've uh, seen. Uh, yes, that's yeah. just beautiful. Oh well, Lydia, I can't thank you enough for being on, and um, I do hope you stay in touch and you know keep me posted on. On, I feel like there's a book in you, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you have to nurse me through it. Oh, hi. <laughs> I've got to nurse <laughs> you. Okay, I'm I'm trying to think about you know all the serendipity that goes on in my life. I'm I'm trying to pull that together. I was writing my memoirs. I think I was telling you I was writing my memoirs, but I thought this could sound really, you know, kind of uninspiring and, and too sad, you know, some of the stuff that I write about. But I'd love to write about more of the magic that happens, even through the sadness,
0: Well, I think that would be a a wonderful book, and anything that I can do to help you birth that book, I'm here. So um, please do write that. I don't think it'll be too sad at all.
1: (laughs) Well, you're an inspiration, and and even if your Facebook posts have anything to go by, you know, just you know, you just share the beauty of, you know, whatever it is, the clouds or the gardens or just little things that you're touched by. I really love that that positivity. And I think, you know, I think that's really important, that positive energy that you're putting out there.
0: Oh, Lydia, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I'll sign off now. But um, thank you again and we'll, you know, you're we'll, we'll keep talking.
1: Bye, <laughs> it. Bye-bye. You take care and good luck with your, your next interviews. Thank you. Thank you, Lydia.
0: Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback so please message me through my website karinamachado.com or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.